Welcome to the Better Bozo. Welcome to the Better Bozo. My name's Mika Kurz, and together with me here is uh, my good friend Jeff James Howard. Yep, that's me. And we've convened this morning, like every Monday morning. Um, every Monday. In search of tools and understandings and, you know, new horizons to help us hopefully become better bozos. In our wildest dreams, the bozos are better. You know why? Because because obviously the world is is evolving <laughs> right past us. Folks are lapping us right and left. Um, who, who's lapping us? Who who are lapping well, I us? Get, I have this. I have this. Um, a, a kind of an observation on a personal level that as as a community, white guys essentially, especially more than anybody, have kind of been left behind. In, in an old paradigm uh, because we've been comfortable in that old paradigm and whether it's, uh, I mean, so many different people, women, genderqueer folk, different communities of color, when it comes to the grasp of what's going on around us in the world, I definitely think that we've been left behind in the dust. And this... Um, this podcast for me has been a way to catch up. Okay. <laughs> Can we pl- please catch the fuck up? Can you get <laughs> okay. with the program guys um, gotcha. is what, is what I feel um, the calling is. And to that end today, Jeff, we will have uh, the one and only Ariel Vagosin. And I'm super excited. Yeah. Full disclosure. <laughs> Ariel was actually our first Better Bozo podcast interview. And the audio was so terrible that we actually scrapped, sadly, the whole episode. And she graciously, she, he, they, we, they go by all those. If I'm correct, (laughs) I've read some of her (laughs) stuff. He, she, they, we, me, her, him is is coming back on the show. Yes. And um, and I, I can actually just to... Just to flesh out a little bit of who Ariel, I mean, for me, Ariel is a very good close friend and mentor and guide, but most of all, good close friend. Um, I've definitely, if if there was, if there have been opportunities to learn from good friends, for friends to teach, Ariel has been one of those great teacher friends mm, um, right over on. the years. And we've met in different constellations in different corners of the world to do different kinds of organizing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in Palestine, in Morocco, in Greece, um, in in New York, there'd been different like constellations of 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 activism. Um, so what I love about Ariel also is uh, she's she's very involved um, in. In, in gender inclusivity and is the founder of, of Gender Illumination, a company that works and trains groups and staff and um, uh, different communities 
faith-based organizations on how to be more inclusive on, on the gender uh, front. But beyond <laughs> that, when it comes to like workers' rights or, or, or equal rights, racial justice, um, justice in Palestine, she's just um, as in, understands the intersectional nature uh, that exists as different rights movements overlap um, with so, one another. So right there, I think <laughs> when she comes on here in a minute, intersectional nature of rights-based movements. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure we're going to have to unpack that one. Oh, I'd be happy to. There's probably like a series of uh, recordings with different people to help us understand the how different movements um, just overlap with one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this is going to go a little more meta here. I don't know if this is true in the in the rights based organizations. My experience with say environmental groups, where there's a ton of overlap and not a ton of solidarity. So sort of like environmental groups trumpeting their one, this is the most important cause, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, the, um, what were those owls in Washington that upended the timber industry? So funny, that's where I come from, I can't remember their name, but, or the dolphin or sea turtles or, you know, whatever, koalas. And then they get, they get less powerful. So it's just something to bookmark for later that mm-hmm. I'm curious about also. Spotted Owl, that's what it was. Yeah. Oh, there's Ariel on our on awaiting in our Zoom. Ooh, um, it's the high-tech security room. That's what's happening. Mm-hmm. I'm admitting Ariel in. Okay. Ariel, I want to say thank you for coming back after the first pass, which I mentioned uh, earlier, the sadness of having audio challenges that we had to had to 86 the first episode so it's awesome to have you back thank you it's so great to be here with you it's awesome yeah how about i how about i read a little ariel bio here to bring us into the into the zone i'm read down it, man. all right i'm gonna i'm gonna share a little bit i shared previously a little bit about how much i love ariel but just to make it official <laughs> ariel vigosin is a professional gender inclusivity trainer, workshop facilitator, writer, educator, mentor, performance artist, and consultant. Ariel is the founder of Gender Illumination and for over 18 years has facilitated trainings, workshops, and retreats for organizations, corporations, nonprofits, schools, communities, and faith-based groups. This work has taken Ariel all over the U.S. and internationally, Um, Ariel has facilitated gender inclusivity trainings for major tech companies as well as major policy institutes. Ariel is an ordained Hebrew priestess and ritualist. And along with gender justice, Ariel's work focuses on intersectionality, commitment to working from an anti-oppression lens, and creating communities across diverse cultural backgrounds. Ariel loves to play with pronouns, brings joy into all aspects of life, and creatively spark conversations and connections. She's available for workshops, performing, teaching, coaching, and speaking engagements. And to that end, today, Monday, April 13th, we get to have Ariel in our midst on the Better Bozo podcast so that we can discuss and hopefully unpack 
some concepts that to some people might be very straightforward and obvious or gaily forward and obvious. Um, <laughs> but to some of us bozos, not quite yet. <laughs> uh, I really like that, Mika. I want to adopt that as a new saying. I'm going to give you a concept. It's, it's totally uh, gay forward. Okay. It's very gaily forward. Gaily forward. Yeah, I, like I that. love it. <laughs> it might be a little intimidating to some people, a.k.a. men. Well, I just wanted to say it's so great to be back on the show with both of you, mm-hmm. especially during these intense times of global pandemic. It's really beautiful to see both your faces and to be here talking about gender in these times. Mm-hmm. It just occurs to me to give a little background that the first place I met you, Ariel, in, in human form was at Frozen Dead Guy Days up in Netherland, where we were part of the same... Um, well, what was our team? We were, it was the coffin races. Hearts and Bones. We were Hearts called and Hearts and Bones. Hearts and Bones. And so we all dressed up in uh, skeleton onesies, except me. I had a, what, I was like a panda onesie because I was a last minute addition to the to the group. Uh, but Ariel was the corpse in our coffin for the snowy, icy, muddy coffin races. A yeah, pretty, link pretty to um, Frozen Dead Man Days in show notes. Mm-hmm. Yes, hopefully cool. it'll be able to come back next year since it got canceled this year due to the coronavirus. Hopefully it's, next year we'll be back. I hope oh, so too. Yeah, true. that's rough. Um, can we just rally right in? Mika, what do you think? About yeah, yeah, yeah. About let's jump right Ariel? in. Cool. Um, can we do, Ariel, in your learned professional experiential opinion and, and, and empirical knowledge self uh, throw down a really solid, concise uh, definition of gender. A concise definition of gender, by the way, I just want you to know um, the you're going in and out. So I hope that on the recording that it's picking you up clearly. Oh, maybe I'm going question. in and out. Yes. So oh. I can kind of hear what you're saying, but maybe say it one more time. But I also wanted to make sure that just because I know last time we did have tech issues, I want to make sure that you're actually getting picked up. That's great. Well, I'm recording and we're recording in like five places, but the, thank you okay. for letting me know. Great. Yeah. Um, I just would love a, a sort of bozo guy uh, definition of gender to Great. kick things off. So, the definition of gender. I love this question. <laughs> so to start with, I want people to understand that gender is a social construct and gender is a way of describing an identity. And society has constructed that. And oftentimes um, some of those identities, something that could be helpful is to have an example an example of gender is person who is a man, person who identifies as a woman, person who identifies as non-binary, person who identifies as genderqueer. These are all genders. Uh, gender fluid is a gender. So those are some examples so that when we are talking about gender, people from the jump can have an understanding that it might be more expansive because we're on the Better Bozos show. People might have only heard of the genders um, men and women. So right away, I just wanted people to realize that Gender is actually more expansive than those two examples. Hang on a minute. (laughs) (laughs) I hate to be a bozo, but can we, I mean, we're going to, we're going to take this really slowly. I grew up in Jerusalem, the birthplace of the patriarchy. (laughs) And it was like quite literally, I think if I'm not mistaken, that's, I think we can pinpoint a lot of it there. Um, so just to understand what you're saying, so we can 
not skip over that very quickly and take it for granted. I don't take what you just said for granted at all because I grew up in a world where, um, yeah, where there were, there's, there's, there's when there's, sorry, there's men and there are women. There's Adam and Eve and maybe there's some Adams who are attracted to other Adams um, or Eves who are attracted to other Eves, but that has nothing to do with what you're talking about either. You're saying that there are a, that that's that to begin with is a construct that men and women isn't real that I, uh, that there's so many other ways that I can identify. Yeah. So what people get confused about is the difference between sex and gender. And I think that's, Unfortunately, where things in our society have taken this turn of people not understanding that there's a big difference between sex and gender. And I think that's where a lot of oppression has come from. And that's where a lot of societal confusion and societal harm has come from. So what happens right now in society is when you're born, either a doctor, a midwife, whomever is helping you give birth, identifies the baby and will say, this is the baby's gender. But what they're really doing is saying this is the baby's sex. And even that can be complicated, right? So when you think about sex, we're thinking about words like male, female, intersex. So even from the jump, a lot of people, when they think about sex, like when I was in biology class as a young person, like going all the way back to like seventh, eighth grade, the way they were teaching biology was a big focus on female and male. And I honestly didn't really, I don't remember, and I'm curious if you all remember, but I, don't, I really don't think that when I was a young person growing up that they even talked about intersex as a concept or intersex people. Nope. No. And can you, can you dig into that really quickly? Yeah. So, you know, intersex, so one of the things that people don't realize about sex is that there's a lot that's involved around sex. It's not just like, oh, you have a penis, therefore you're male. Oh, you have a vagina, therefore you're female. It's like, well, there's also chromosomes. There's also hormones. And there's a lot that, you know, nature is wildly diverse. And so what people don't realize is that there are intersex people and that is a different sex than male or female. And uh, there's a lot of amazing work that has been done in the intersex community. Um, there's this amazing activist called Pigeon Pagoda. I think is how you say their last name. I've never actually met them. I've just watched a lot of their YouTube videos to, to learn a lot. Um, they're an intersex activist non-binary activist, and um, they have done so much work online to explain to people what intersex is, to talk about their own personal stories. What's really intense about the intersex community is that a lot of intersex people go through non-consensual and not medically necessary surgeries on, on their bodies when they're babies because doctors really, you know, it's entrenched in our culture that you can either be male and therefore you will eventually be called a man in our society like when you're a boy like a little kid you'll be called a boy and then you'll be a man and if you're female you'll be called a girl and eventually a woman and what's problematic about that is you're equating sex and gender and it also therefore harms the intersex community and it leaves them out and it also creates this dynamic where doctors are like we need to fit them into a box that they don't fit into so here are some options like surgeries or changing their bodies to fit into these boxes. What's interesting about all of this is the real reality is you could give birth to a baby. That baby could be, you know, assigned the sex of male and that 
person as they grow can realize that their gender identity is being a woman. So you can have women that have penises. You can have men that have vaginas. In fact, people exist this way and have for the beginning of time until now. Um, that, you know, what people use the word trans as, trans is an umbrella term that means you do not identify with the gender you were assigned at birth. And oftentimes that means you also aren't assigning with the sex that you are at birth. Why I think things are complicated around gender and sex is because we just equated this as one thing. If these things were automatically from birth considered separate, if it was like, hey, your baby is born, your baby has a penis, that's the information that we're giving you, we're not telling you what your baby's gender is, then that young person would get, would have a whole radically different experience. We don't even, you know, the real reality is gender is so expansive. We actually have, you know, it's infinite, the amount of genders that, that can be. I, I once heard this great quote that is like, the amount of genders are the amount of people that exist in the world. So the, the conflation and the problem is thinking that your baby's sex is the same as what your baby's gender will be. Gender can change over time. And the truth is, even your sex can change over time because people can have operations that change that. Mm. So. Cool. That's, thank you. <clears throat> That's a lot to take in. Uh, good stuff. Mika, what do you got? You have your hand well, over your I'll, mouth. <laughs> I mean, I've got, I've got numerous. I'm, 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 I'm wondering what to try and unpack first. Um, the first, I mean, what I'm just to breathe that all in. And I appreciate this Ariel because I don't think, again, I don't take it for granted. I don't think this is something like we're saying, if we did not grow up with this, it's a new construct um, that I would like to be tolerant with our Bozo community with like here in this particular space, this particular space is where we're hopefully tolerant with the learning curve that a lot of us Bozos are on. Um, and so some of the questions that come up for me as a self-identified Bozo is, Oh, hang on a second. If we hadn't assigned somebody that identity at birth, from what I understand from what you're saying is, one, there's so much more fluidity to self-discover during early years. So we get to like kind of forgo all that um, shame and fear that we take on just to try to um, grow into a certain identity or box that we were given or that we were assigned at birth is, is the first thing I, I understand. The second thing I wonder is um, about like the percentage of people, which is a very binary question for me to wonder to begin with. Cause what you're saying is, Hey, if none of us were assigned anything at birth, we would have all been able to grow up into our full selves outside of gender to begin with. Like that whole contract would have been um, lifted from our shoulders is another thing I'm hearing you say, not just for you. I'm, 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 I'm othering people right now because we're saying, oh, these are other people. But in fact, what I'm also understanding is for my own sense of self, my own masculinity, my own bozoness, my own need to be a man growing up in Israeli society, hyper militarized and racist in many ways would have in a, to a certain extent been lifted. Like there's a whole 
beyond just um, what we have between our legs, there's a whole like another layer there that I'm that that I think is is a door kind of that that Ariel is opening in my psyche right now. Am I getting this? Correctly, yeah, I think there's so many there's so many layers to what we're talking about, right? There's this reality that if you were born into a society that told you there are six genders and that's what you knew and that's what it had been for thousands of years and that's what everybody was doing, then you would be then you would fully believe that you would be like, there's six genders. This is what it is. And then you'd have some way to make us an argument, a scientific argument to back that up. And you would be like, here's why we believe this. And here's here's what those identities are. And here's how they map out to the body. And and this is what that looks like. And now the society construct is going to go into gender roles. And this is what we all believe. And this is what we all do. And then suddenly imagine there's a person that says, I'm something totally different from those six genders. I'm a seventh thing. Well, that must be real because that's that person's experience. But all of society would be like, we don't have space for that. We don't know how to welcome you. We don't know how to include you. In fact, we're just going to shun you guilt you, shame you, because that's how society, unfortunately, has been navigating difference. There is, you know, the reality is like there are, you know, someone was to say to you, are there biological differences between people who are born with penises and people who are born with vaginas? Yes. Right. Um, But that does not that are there going to be differences in how people express their gender? Sure. But does it have to be based on sex or are there multiple things that might go into how a person expresses gender? You know, it's impossible for me to tell you what your life would have been like if society had constructed gender differently because we just don't know. We haven't, you know, society has been changing gender over time. There's been ways that it has shifted and changed. So you see that that is happening slowly, but you don't know what it would be like if you were to go back to the beginning of your early childhood experiences because we're born into a society and we kind of have to navigate that. And those of us that are in the margins of that society, you know, Trans, you know, just to be clear, like I identify as non-binary people who identify as non-binary, trans, gender fluid, gender queer. We've always existed under different names, mm-hmm. right? Throughout the throughout all of time. So it's a matter of like, how did these people survive and thrive in society? A lot of times it wasn't always being able to be out. And that meant you had hidden pieces of society. But mainstream society, yes, guided you in a certain way, told you being a man looks like this. You have to behave and act and, and be a certain way. What if you were told, Mika, you have so many opportunities and options and gender is a social construct and it's shiftable and it can look however you want and there's just more freedom. Yeah, you'd be a totally different person. So, yeah, so, okay. So, in fact... Uh, over the last two, three, five, ten years of my life, I've been getting more and more used to gender pronouns, using gender pronouns and identifying. I know I'm I kind of feel required at this point when I introduce myself. I'm from I say I'm from Mika. Um, for other reasons, I actually name I um, live on. Arapaho, Ute, and Cheyenne lands, and I identify as he, him, and lately, he, him, bozo. I think bozo is a great pronoun to use. I think we need to discuss that. We don't have to do that now, maybe towards the end of the episode. Um, and I, I, I actually receive, anyway, we'll talk about that at the end of the episode. But what I'm hearing you say now, at first, my understanding has been 
that I do that in order to create a more inclusive circle um, so that anybody who identifies in any way will have the opportunity to be identified and included. Um, and his hymn is no different from any other uh, uh, pronoun. And I, I'm, I'm curious about what other pronouns there are that I'm missing because I'm, I'm very self-absorbed and, and focused on my own pronoun. Um, but what I, the other thing I'm hearing you say is actually this isn't necessarily only for those other people that have been othered so for so long it's about actually including myself in it that right now I identify as his him doesn't mean that I always will and by creating these new kind of identification rituals every time the way we've gotten used to shaking hands or a high five or a fist bump I also say hey I'm from this land and I identify as X and that that's not just for other people. I'm not doing other people a favor out of solidarity. This is a new ritual. Am I going too fast with this, Jeff? Or are we, is this, are these, I mean, this is just what occurs to me as I, as I'm hearing Ariel describe our evolving reality. Yeah. Thanks for checking in, <clears throat> Mika. I'm noticing myself, just watching and wondering um, and looking at my own relationship to shifting social contracts and, and, and questioning them, you know, to your point, Ariel, thousands of years, all genders have been around. Um, they might've been burned at the stake a hundred and 200 years ago. Um, so uh, I don't know if you're going too fast. It feels important. I'm paying attention for sure. Well, I can speak to the pronoun piece because I think that's an important part and we could try, I can try to slow it down because I know that a lot of what you're trying to accomplish on this podcast is to kind of give people more of a beginner understanding, which I think makes sense. Anytime that you inform something new to somebody, anytime you say, here's what you were given, here's what you thought, actually there's so much more than what you thought people might need a minute to intake to, to process. So something that I want to be clear around pronouns is pronouns, you know, is is a is interesting because based on what language you're using, pronouns operate differently. There are certain languages that don't even have pronouns based on gender. There are certain languages where everyone just has the same pronouns and it's not necessarily a gendered experience. Mm. In the English language, we've done pronouns where it is a gendered experience. So by saying your pronoun you're also giving me some information about the person's gender, which maps onto a whole structure of how someone sees the world, right? It also can map onto, let's just say I was looking to hire Mika for a job and I didn't know based on Mika's name, Mika's gender, and then somebody starts referencing Mika as he. Now I get a picture of, of Mika's gender. And the next thing you know, just because of how unconscious bias works, there's something in my mind that's connecting that to the masculine and that creates a whole world of, of expectation or a whole world of that means maybe this person's more or less qualified, depending on what your unconscious bias is around gender, right? But everyone has a bias and it then links into the way we structured society around sexism. But so that's, I just wanted to name that because I also, I also know other languages. It's like so gendered that even if you were to say, this is Ariel's book, the book then takes on whatever gender that I am. 
So I think it's important to describe that language is complicated. And anytime you um, need to shift language, there might be moments of people feeling uncomfortable. And I want to be clear that that's fine. Language has always shifted. <laughs> We've adapted. We've learned new words like Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. These are words that, that when I was a child did not exist. We know them. We're not having a panic attack about them, right? We just have incorporated them into our culture. So when people say to me, oh, it's confusing or complicated to learn new pronouns, there's a part of me that's like, really? Because we're learning new words all the time. I actually <laughs> think you can do this. I actually think you have the intellect and the ability and the knowledge to do this because I see that we're doing it with technology. So it's the, you can equate that and be like, we can learn new pronouns. I, I and I'm really... saying, well, I want to jump in there. I really appreciate that because there seems to be an important distinction that I'm tracking there. And let me know where this lands. Um, talking about tweeting and, and you know, posting. Yeah, 50 years ago, that shit didn't exist. Maybe 20 years ago, that didn't exist. And it also feels like, at least for me, when we talk about learning new pronouns, it feels pretty tender because it, in my experience, it's exposing our prejudices, it's exposing our probably mostly blind, if not totally blind, allegiance to the system we grew up in, the, the water we're swimming in, sort of that, uh, why do you want to do the they, them? <clears throat> That's so dumb, or whatever we might say, or I might say. So that feels like an important distinction, and I really value your argument because I think it forces all of us to go, ooh, wait, Ariel's got a really good point. It's not that big a deal to say they Although I do struggle with it, by the way, not, we can talk more about how I struggle with it, but, but I'll just share that sometimes it's hard to remember because of the embedded nature of who I grew up as and what I grew up in. So. Yeah. And I want to just say around the pronouns that there's many pronouns, right? So he, <laughs> him, she, her, they, them, but there's other pronouns that exist. Like Z is a pronoun. There's her is a pronoun. There's lots of pronouns that have existed throughout time that people have chosen to use that people do use. I think what we're seeing right now, especially this year, or, the, or I think in 2019 or 2020, the year became like the year of they, them. Like I know that the Webster dictionary said this was the word of the year. And that kind of, that became this really exciting thing where I think a lot of people who identify as something not as something other than men or women have now been kind of getting guided into the they, them pronoun, which I think is really interesting. Like I'm noticing that other pronouns like Z and per are becoming less popular. And it's almost like, well, okay, fine. Maybe there's more than two genders. So maybe there's three. So we'll go with they, them pronouns. And to me, even that's a little problematic because I think there's far more than three genders. I think what people are really used to doing is being like, we already know about these two. Now people are saying there's more than these two. So we'll just make an other category and we need a label for that other category. Okay, here's the label. And what's interesting about they, them is that that has been a way that people have referenced people. Like oftentimes if you don't know someone's gender, like if you see um, a jacket that was left at your house, you would, you know, when talking about that, you would use the, the they pronoun because you wouldn't know. And people have been doing this for a really long time before this became a popular non-binary um, or a popular pronoun for people who are genderqueer. So it actually has been in, in our vocabulary. And I see where people are, you know, I when, when someone like yourself says, oh, it's hard, 
you know, there's been arguments around, oh, the grammar is, is different from what I'm used to, or I just never knew about this before. So now I'm being asked to learn something new. Or sometimes people say things like, well, I remember when your pronoun was she, her, and now your pronoun is they, them. Like, how am I supposed to remember that? And, you know, it's like anything. It's like, because you can, right? Like, because <laughs> what it is, is showing respect totally. for your friends and respect for your colleagues and respect for people who are part of the trans community. And why pronouns are so important is because the harm that is done, it's a microaggression that can sometimes also be a, a macroaggression depending, right? A microaggression is when you, you know, mispronounce someone, you don't necessarily mean to be doing that. But if all day, every day, someone is being mispronounced, it affects their self-esteem, their self-worth. It affects how they function in society. It affects how they think people are seeing them. It affects just their ability to function. Because if I'm, you know, in a space and you're consistently not understanding my gender, it might make me be, it will make it be very hard for us to connect or very hard for me to just do average tasks. Cause now my whole focus is on this aspect. And in some dream world, to be honest, I, I just wish that we did pronouns completely differently in the U S and in English language, because I don't, I don't actually think for myself, to be honest, n none of these pronouns are actually working for me because I think we're doing this weird thing now where we're saying the pronoun a hundred percent connects to your gender. And I'm like, well, I don't see any of these pronouns connecting to the way I do my gender. I think of myself as neither a man nor a woman, someplace as both something in between something like just so different. And I'm like, I don't know that they, them exactly equates to that either for me. So if I was creating my dream world, <laughs> we might not even, we might just do away with pronouns. And I also think that the issue that I see right now in pronoun circles is a pronoun circle can be really helpful and beneficial or a pronoun circle can sometimes actually be harmful. And we kind of need nuance around this at this point. I think the way we were doing trainings for so long, like the past five years, a lot of trainings or a lot of gender inclusivity trainings, we were, we were really being like every meeting you should open with your name and your pronoun. Oh, that's what a pronoun circle is. Just one. Thanks for that. So you would say, my name is Jeff, he, him, his, and you'd say Ariel. Gotcha. Yeah. So if you were in a workplace, let's just say we were, you know, for a long time, people were getting encouraged. If this is your first meeting, if this is your, you know, if this is not like every single day you would do this, but if it was like, this is the introductory to us all working together for the next two years, like let's do our pronouns. And of course, someone's pronouns might even switch over the two years. But we have this like understanding that we know how to ask each other pronouns. We know how to say our name and our pronoun. It becomes like a familiar thing. Like Miko was saying, it becomes part of the culture. Mm -hmm. So there is something empowering that if it really was becoming a part of the culture. But the problem that I see is it's not really, it hasn't really moved into that place where it's in the mainstream. It's just not. It's not that, you know, I think there are groups that are in the margins that have taken this practice on. But I actually think if you, most mainstream people listening to this, I don't think that they're doing pronoun circles. When I go in to do my trainings and I say, raise your hand, if you're familiar with saying your name and your pronoun, most hands are down. Still down. Still, still down. I will say regionally, this is different. In New York, in the Bay Area, a lot of people's hands go up. Um, but I still think there's lots of regions where this is not the normal practice. And then I think you get into this weird thing that can happen where it's like singling out the person that is not cisgendered, right? Because say you have a workspace of 30 people and, and 29 people are identifying as cisgendered and there's one person who is not. It's like, 
And then people in the pronoun circle, sometimes cisgender people don't take a pronoun circle seriously or they're making a lot of jokes or they just don't understand it. And then it actually like forces the trans person to maybe come out of the closet when they weren't 100% ready. It puts a lot of pressure on them. What if you don't know your pronoun yet? What if you're just at the beginning of your transition and suddenly the pronoun circle is not as helpful as we thought, right? So people feel really differently about the pronoun circle. It's like I have actually seen a lot of power in trans and non-binary community of doing the pronoun circle when it's just us, when there aren't cisgender people in the room, because then the pronoun circle people are like, cool, now I know how to call you. You know how to call me. It's empowering. We're self-identifying. We're all in this together. But I have also seen that sometimes people feel singled out or harmed when it's a majority cisgender circle and the few trans people in the circle then feel outed or awkward. So I, I don't think it's like a blanket, like, cure for how to shift society. Yeah. I had the same question. Mika just chatted. <laughs> what is cisgender? And I just looked it up because uh, it's an important thing for us all to define, but to, 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 what do you do then Ariel? Like if, if there's what you said, that ratio 29 to one cis versus trans or whatever. Let it is, me someone... explain what cis is. So everybody's on the, the page with us. Cisgender Great. is somebody that, identifies with the their gender matches the the so when you're born remember i was saying that you are assigned a gender which is conflated with your sex a person who is cisgendered still that that for them those things match and they um still identify with the gender that they were assigned at birth so i'm a guy and i have a dick and i feel comfortable with that i'm not there isn't um any Feelings of confusion about that. Yeah. So if you were born and you're and you and the doctor was like, Mika is a boy, and you are like, Yes, I'm a boy, I'm a man, you are cisgendered. I identify with that. Okay. Yep. Sex with And I just yeah. want to be clear that I think these terms, you know, everything the vocabulary has shifted a lot. Right. And I think it will shift a lot. Like I have a feeling that somebody 30 years from now hopefully will be listening to this podcast and they'll be like, that's what you all thought? Like, (laughs) no! Like, you all did, you know, I just, I, like, honestly can't wait for a generation next to, like, to to stand on on the shoulders of the generation that I'm in and say, like, thank you so much for all the gender work that you did to, like, help us with our gender liberation. And Level Next is just, it's, like, shooting way far ahead than you ever imagined and the terms have shifted yet again and the pronouns yet again and get ready. Okay. Okay. So uh, I'm also I'm also feeling myself on a spectrum between conservative and progressive here. Like I hear what you're saying, and I eventually I just want to identify as Mika, um, because because I, I've I, over my the span of my own lifetime, and I get I I mean I'm I'm only beginning to understand how comfortable I've been. In, in my body, walking into a room full of other people, like as a cis, white, straight man, I walk into a room and feel like I rule the room, quite literally. Like this is what I was raised to do. Walk into a room and rule it um, is, is, has been my experience. And then there have been other times when I've felt super vulnerable or I didn't feel like some when I walk into a room and I'm super attracted to a person because they're super hot and sexy and it turns out that they've got a penis between their legs and I'm feeling 
strange and ashamed about that, and I can't tell anybody. So anyway, uh, 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 all this is to say that just by my own experience in life, I'm I'm sometimes realize that I, as a bozo, I'm also on this kind of spectrum between wanting to feel completely freed of 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 the weight uh, of of all these constructs on my shoulders versus, but hang on a minute, Ariel, by throwing all of that um, bathwater out, what of the baby are we throwing out with it? What are we letting go of? What are we paying attention to? Isn't marriage lovely? Like the institution, like, I don't know what I, I, I get. I get super confused about, like, but wait a minute, are we throwing the the economy out? Are we throwing the institution of marriage out with it? Um, just I think a, you just took like a really big like yeah, turn us, and kind of jumped. Earth, like, Ariel. You just kinda, <laughs> I feel like Mika, you just kind of like dove into like we were in like a pool of water together. You just like got out and like dove into like some whole other ocean, like someplace far away. So I just want to like bring us back to what we're talking about. Thank which you. Is that, yes, thank you. We, I need help. A lot of help. Th- that there, there is no. You know, I think people have a lot of fear that something that you're you've been comfortable with or something that you are familiar with is going to be taken away or some piece of your identity is going to be taken away because someone else has a different identity to you. And that's just not true. First of all, you cannot unwrite history. I mean, in some ways we all wish we could because then you could ease some of the pain or some of the harm or some of the oppression, but you can't like erase sexism, erase transphobia, a race, homophobia, a race, thousands of years of women being oppressed, thousands of years of trans people being oppressed, racism, thousands of years of black people, indigenous people, people of color, right? So when we talk about systems and you talk about social constructs, you can't, you know, you couldn't just wake up tomorrow and be like, okay, we all realize that these things are actually social constructs. So we've done away with them. Let's do life. It's like, it wouldn't work that way because unfortunately we have embodied and ingrained inside of us and internalized all of these structures of repression. So even if you woke up tomorrow and you were told that gender doesn't exist, your mind actually wouldn't do that. Your mind would still wake up and categorize people the way you've known to categorize people since you were born into a system that is thousands of years old, that has categorized people and given some people more privileges and more benefits and some people less privileges and more oppression. Mm. And you can't, you cannot undo that. So in the process, all you, what you can do moving forward, right? You can't undo that history of oppression and you can't pretend it didn't happen. In fact, it's actually really important that we talk about it in order to heal it and that we acknowledge that it's ongoing and that we acknowledge that those systems have actually created now generations of some people doing far better economically than other people. So even even yeah. in this new time of COVID-19 where our economy is getting destroyed and we're all thinking, wow, we're going to have to readjust and change everything. The reality is, you you know, we ha- we you can't undo the fact that some people in the U.S. were given far more access to wealth than other people. And that's been inherited intergenerationally. You can't undo the fact that, you know, there's all this time where men had the right to vote and women didn't. There's all this time where men were given access to certain jobs that women didn't have access to. You can't deny that right now trans people are still getting killed. Like there's no, there's no, when I'm talking about trying to be expansive in our gender or even given someone who's cis the ability to think about their gender differently, 
it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't like leave behind the painful truth of what's already existed and what still does exist. Mm. That's not, you know, by any means what I'm calling for, right? Like when you, when you talk about race or racism, for example, you know, it's not like we're going to wake up and be colorblind. That's not even that that's not a possibility for how we've been living. And Mm. if you say that it's actually very harmful to people of color because you're ignoring their lived reality and you're ignoring their, their truth and what's happening for them. So the same, you know, the same maps out onto gender. You can't just be like, well, this is a social construct. And so if gender doesn't exist, go be free. It's like, well, you would still, your mind would still be like, that's a trans person. And I, you know, transphobia is ingrained into our culture. So you have to actually do the work of unlearning that you have to actually do the work of unlearning cis privilege. You actually have to do the work. It's not, it's not this magical. Oh, I, I had this amazing podcast conversation with Ariel and I realized that gender is different from what I thought. So cool. Now, now the blinders are off and now I can just go (laughs) and like, wow, gender's deconstructed and we're all liberated. It's like, well, unfortunately that's not how it works for any of the constructs that, that we've made up. Because, by the way, these constructs that we've made up have become backed up by actual systems that are very, very, very real. So, Ariel, I, I want to jump in because the images that are coming to mind uh, are invisible bars and also invisible bars and invisible cages that are stacked on top of each other. And like you're pointing to, intergenerational wealth. Our president is a great example. Not someone who worked really hard and pulled himself up by his bootstraps. He inherited millions of dollars and you know, inherited other people's money by swindling them. That's a whole other story. Uh, and it feels like what you're describing, right? This, this understanding, uh, and seeing the invisible bars and these invisible compartments and the way in which it stratifies, uh, and keeps a low ceiling for some and a high ceiling for others. Being able to, as a person of privilege, I'll use myself as an example, see the bars and go, shit, wait a minute. What's going on here? Like you said, some version of deconstruct or dissolve the bars to try to level the playing field, which might be impossible in this lifetime. Um, And it seems like part of what we're talking about. I think it's a huge part of what we're talking about because the, the pain that has existed around gender really is the problem that society has given the gender that is gender male men people have given that gender power and privilege and benefits that other genders have not received throughout a long 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 period of time so that that construct is is you know it's like how do you shift that narrative how do you if and and if you think about the way that affects generation after generation there's there's structural oppression at play and you have to kind of get to the root of that and figure out how we're going to unlearn that together as a society. If we're ever going to actually have liberation or if we're ever actually going to have a place where people feel safe. And so when you talk about gender, there's like multiple layers of things that are happening. Right. And, you know, when you think about what's happening now is there's also this weird accidental binary that I think is being created where people are saying, Oh, there's cisgendered people and there's trans people. What's interesting about that is these are, umbrella terms, right? Anytime you have an umbrella term, there's actually a lot happening underneath that umbrella. Mm-hmm. And any and what we know is sometimes one section of the umbrella will will be able to start advancing in society or will be given 
some of the privileges that the dominant group has. Like but gay, other people, white men? Yeah, so when you think about, yeah, that's a good, so that umbrella, what you're talking about is if you think of uh, LGBTQ, which is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, Q, queer, questioning, when you think about that as an umbrella term, yes, gay men have started, white gay men have started advancing in society. And it's not, it's not like they've totally, you know, they're still, they still do have oppression that they are faced with, right? It's just not as high as, say, a black trans woman's experience of oppression, right? But you end up in this situation where it's like some pieces of an umbrella start receiving certain privileges or advancing in society. And then what happens is people will start saying, look, we did the work, right? Like we're, our, you know, let's just give an example of Check. a company like our, well, yeah. our, our corporation, you know, there's all these gay men that we hired. So we must be doing great for the LGBTQ community or like, look, all these gay men now have jobs and are making money and they're advancing economically. And you're like, whoa, that's like that's an issue because that umbrella also, you know, have you checked in on how lesbians are doing? Have you checked in on how trans people are doing? Have you checked in on bisexual people? Have you checked in on, you know, what about the the you know, that intersection of race and gender and how people of color's experience is just so radically different from white people's experience in this country. Um, so so that, Ariel, that connects to gender too. I want to jump in because there's so much here. Uh, circling all the way back to what you said, which I really appreciated, uh, that that expanding how we, uh, how we define ourselves or how we present ourselves and, and making more room for other people's expanded uh, identification and definition of who they are and how they are in the world. I really like that you said you don't have to sort of get taken away any part of your identity. That feels really central here um, because there's such a contraction, I think, that happens for most people in this system, myself included, that, that I'm, I don't feel great about it and it's still true. Um, there's a contraction, sort of the, the base thing being those people are going to take our jobs. We won't be replaced. You know, Mika and I have talked about stuff like this multiple times and mostly that's not true. I think we're so unresilient when it comes to discomfort and learning new things, especially when we're in a position of power and privilege. So the comfort, right. And comfort. Yeah. This, the small C comfort. To tell people is there's a big difference between being uncomfortable and unsafe, right? So when you start learning about your privilege, whether that's your white privilege your your privilege, because you're a man, your privilege, because you have money, your privilege, because you are able-bodied, your privilege, you know, there's so many different ways that people are privileged in society. I just named a few, but oftentimes people start becoming aware of those privileges and they have a, a sense of like discomfort or they feel uncomfortable or they feel some level of guilt or shame. And it's like, well, actually that's really different from being unsafe. So being unsafe, for example, is when a trans person walks down the street and is being harassed or actually is assaulted is actually murdered yeah. or when a trans person is on a date with someone and their date, um, you know, actually turns out to be incredibly harmfully transphobic and takes physical abuse action against them. This is what, this is unsafe. Like this is being unsafe in the world. Another <laughs> example is a white person might feel uncomfortable when they learn that they have privilege, but a black person is legitimately unsafe sometimes just by driving when they get pulled over by a police, knowing that they have are at a high risk of actually getting shot, even if they've done, they, you know, they could be a hundred percent innocent, have done nothing, just been driving. These are real things that are happening yeah. to black people in society right now. So there's a difference between 
someone being like, I'm uncomfortable that I'm finding out that I'm privileged and I have to do this work and it doesn't feel good and it's complicated and it's messy and it's making me address things in myself versus like I legitimately am, am not safe in society. Like the structure of society has me in an unsafe position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. I want to well, offer. Ahead, Jeff. Well, yeah, I just want to offer up. I think what might be more uh, helpful for someone like me, who's closer to on the spectrum to cisgendered. If I were to order us here, it'd probably be you know me, Mika, Ariel, in terms of that spectrum. Uh, even though, and I really like what you said. Q stands for queer and questioning. That's a thing that I really value of late. Is that hmm? Am I cisgendered? Well. I like a lot of things that are different. So just as a sidebar, I really, really like that. But to, but to put it in perspective, and I'm getting curious, Ariel, Ariel to, to hear how you help people make the distinction between being uncomfortable and unsafe. And, and an example that came up when you were talking before is that something that used to really irk me is that I, for years, went by Jeffrey. And I would introduce myself as Jeffrey, and someone would say, good to meet you, Jeff. And I'd be like, what did you... I just said my whole name. I, I articulate pretty well. Now, I know this is a small example, and I can't, I can't get at all, really, what, what happens for folks that identify differently in terms of gender. And this does feel like a pretty universal, like if, you know, Mika says, hey, my name is Mika, and I'm like, what's up, Mikey? You know, or I, I say to you, Ariel, <laughs> you yourself, I say, yeah, uh, uh, Ariel, you know, or something. It's just wacko. Uh, that to me feels like a, maybe maybe a useful example of that's discomfort. I'm I'm being misidentified in some way, uh, a really small way. But in terms of uh, that's what comes up for me, and I'm curious, Ariel, how you help people, especially those that are more privileged, get it. Okay, so this is a great question. So one of my biggest things is I come from an ethos of no shame and no guilt. <laughs> I, I the whole goal for me is not having somebody who's in a position of privilege or in a dominant group. I don't think it's beneficial to be on a trajectory of guilt or shame because I don't think it creates cultural change. What I've seen is when people get into a guilt or shame spiral, they actually shut down, they close off and they can't get into a a place that's expansive enough to actually be willing to, to create change. Mm -hmm. And they also then can't even see other people or connect with other people in the room. So I, the, the professional work that I do is actually go into corporations, nonprofits, places of faith, healthcare providers, and I do trainings, I do consulting work, I do policy work, I do curriculum writing. If you look at my website, shinediversity.com, you can see all of the offerings that I do. And this is, gives people the opportunity to do this work with a professional so that you don't have to feel like you're on your own or trying to like navigate this without support. A lot of this work needs support. You need someone that has been through the ropes that can show you that can guide you that can you can help you in this experience so that you're not you know fumbling mm-hmm. but that you're able to have a built-in system that will help you navigate and learn this work together well, what's what's uh, like a just a straight up example that you might use when you're actually doing trainings like say i i say to you you've you've say done them we've done the pronoun circle and you say they them and I go, yeah, Ariel, she's really great. Now, I know I've read some of your writings. So I know you, you mix it up and use multiple pronouns, which I appreciate. Uh, so in that process, what do you do with a bozo like me uh, who's just misgendered you or someone else? Um, how, do you, how do you help and how do you repair? Yeah, this is a great question. So there's a few different things. 
Um, one thing that sometimes happens that, that can be really intense is like you mispronoun me, I let you know, and you go into a deep shame spiral. And instead of just apologizing and moving on and us having a great conversation or us, you know, being with multiple people, having a great conversation, it like the focus all becomes about you feeling bad. Maybe you even start crying and you, you're like, I'm so sorry. This is terrible. I'm a terrible person. I can't believe I did this. I should have known this. And it's like, then actually all of the attention is on you. And then it sort of becomes my responsibility as the person who was just harmed to actually make you feel better. Right. And so then all my energy will be spent being like, no, Jeff, it's okay. Like, don't, you know, like I, you know, it's okay that you messed up. Like, don't worry. Thanks. thanks. Are you sure, Ariel? Are you sure we're okay? So this is what we call cis tears of guilt. Cis guilt. Okay. (laughs) So what, what would be more effective and just more beneficial is just, if you notice that you messed up, like, let's say, you know, my pronoun is they, them, and you said she, her, you would just correct, right? (laughs) Like just in that same moment, you'd be like, Oh, they, them. And then you keep moving. And then it's like, cool, cool. I know you messed up, but I also know you corrected it. Yeah. We're all, it's like, I can see that you actually are making the effort that you're being respectful and that you're doing, that you actually are doing the work to learn. Mm-hmm. If you do mess up and you didn't notice, and I say, my pronouns are they, them, you just correct. You could say sorry and keep moving. It doesn't need to be like a dramatic over the top apology cool. that drains the other person's energy. It doesn't need to be that you ask them to educate you on how they, them works. Like say you were like, in your head, you're like, but isn't that grammatically incorrect? It's like, that's not the person to talk to about that. Go to another cisgendered person that's done this work and ask them, hey, can you help me with the they, them pronouns so that the non-binary or trans person does not have to do that work for you. Find a better bozo. Find a better bozo. Get on this podcast, you know? <laughs> and then the other thing that I want to offer is if you, me, and Mika were all talking and you mess up my pronoun, Mika could just very easily help you out like in that conversation so that I don't even have to do it. You could just be yeah. like, it's they, them, and then you keep moving. Yeah, that's super cool. Just the whole, let's not make a big deal out of it because it ends up being selfish on my part. Yeah, and then that becomes the whole topic of conversation is my gender all of a sudden, right? That's another thing. It's like, now it's like a massive amount of attention yeah. instead of just being like- Which could be alienating. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and also then we're not talking about what we really want to talk about. <laughs> right, yeah. Gotcha. You know what um, I, I, sorry, I just, the other thing I noticed that you, you used, um, you used the term when you were describing this Ariel. you said men have been given a lot of power, um, versus men have taken a lot of power, which can also be true over the years, over the millennia. Um, but the reason I like men have been given a lot of power is it because, is because it completely empowers all of us to redistribute it together um, versus men have taken it, meaning there's this monolith enemy that we need to deal with. But it seems even more inclusive to me when you um, articulate it this way and give us all an opportunity to be in the conversation again. There's a collective experience versus a specific accusation. Um, and, and within a circle or within communities, uh, it kind of feels like, oh, what Ariel essentially is describing, especially when you're talking about the next generation and 30 years down the line, when they look back at the work, um, that you're doing now, there's also going to be, a um, this collective experience of growth of evolving, sure, at different paces in different localities and different identities, but collectively 
we all get to be part of it. Um, and I appreciate that a lot. It, 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 um, it cuts down on the guilt and the shame and the accusation there. I can appreciate that too, Mick. And I also am a little, a question because in some ways men specifically have really truly taken a lot of shit. Like, like forcibly, violently taken things. I can appreciate the given and the distinction. And it also feels like mm, if you come up to me and you're like, hey, Jeff, I really like that sandwich you have. And I'm scared of you. And I say, oh, here, Mika, you can have it. Now, technically, you could say I gave you the sandwich, except that I was bullied into it. So both and for me anyway, which is cool. And I want to hear more because I, I, I feel like some pretty huge aspect of reality is getting missed back to Ariel's point about history is true. Lots of taking. Yeah. Lots of taking has happened. And I think when I'm talking about given, I'm really talking about how systems are structured. So there's, there's individuals in a system, right? In that story, you're saying like Mika stole your sandwich, right? Essentially. (laughs) But what's interesting is the way we've structured society is then we've actually created societal laws that give Mika the ability to always get the sandwich. Right. The entitlement, the so, feeling of it's my sandwich anyway, if I want it because I deserve it. Well, I'm just going to give some real life examples, right? Like the yeah. fact that like men had the right to vote and women didn't have the right to vote. So that's, you know, like the society structured by men, men gave other men the, the privilege and the power to vote and specifically yeah. left out women. And specifically in that structure, also only white people were talking about. They right. left out people of color entirely. Right. So the, these, this, this gets into like, I just want people to understand that they're structural, like actual systems that have been built that, you know, make it harder for certain people to get bank loans, harder for certain people to get housing, harder for certain people to get health care. <laughs> So, and especially I've been thinking a lot about that now in the time of, of a pandemic. It's like, well, if you already have been denied over and over again benefits, healthcare, all of a sudden it's only going to be that much worse now that we're in this health crisis. I was just thinking that, that the COVID-19 is really exposing the underbelly of white male privilege in the United States, especially with the power grab from the top down about uh you know, denying bailouts for the U.S. Postal Service, who are a lot of people of color that are just on the front lines and all the other ways in which banks and fossil fuels, all mostly owned by old white dudes, are being bailed out. And we're going to get a $1,200 check in five months. Oh, yes. So if our episode right now, for the sake of our listeners... Um, designed at this point for us to grasp gender um, and why we use right now pronouns. And I feel like, Ariel, some of what you're saying is don't even get used to the pronouns. We're going to move beyond that soon. They might still be pronouns, but they might be different ones. Um, is a way for us to lean into... I mean, so many different things. There's we're leaning into into classism and re- leaning into racism and leaning into sexism, um, and and of course these are all the ways that we started out as you were jumping on Ariel discussing what intersectionality 
um, is, and we didn't quite get to cover that. Is is there a, a way for uh, that you'd like to describe intersectionality? Yeah, there is. So I feel like there's like so many things that you just said that I actually want to cover. <laughs> so I just want to, I, I get to say about intersectionality. Um, but before that, I just want to back up to say the piece about the language and the pronouns and to say that, yes, everything is evolving. Human beings have to stay adaptable. And also what's important is that if someone says to you, this is my name, this is my pronouns, that you do that. You call them their correct name. You call them their correct <laughs> pronouns. I want people to take that away from this podcast. Yeah, as a basic most- tool, that's very clear. Ariel, yeah. that's your name. That's what I'm going to call you. Yeah. So, exactly. That's one thing that I really, really, really hope people take away from this is that person's name, person's pronoun, it's, it's a respect issue. It's an issue of this is the most basic common human dignity and human courtesy that you can give to someone. Get someone's name correctly, get someone's pronoun correctly. So, and yes, pay attention. Things are going to keep evolving. That's what we do as a species. So yes, there will be new language. Yes, there will be new pronouns. And yes, you will be asked to use those and adopt to those. And that's actually great part of how we evolve. And when it comes to intersectionality, that concept is that we actually embody multiple identities, both within ourselves and within the work that we are doing. So I am not just, you know, one thing. You're not just It's not like you have one identity that's like your one identity is you're a white person. It's like, well, you're also a man. You're also, you know, potentially have a certain religious background, a certain class background. So we can body multiple things. Intersectionality is almost like a street corner, right? It's like when you're standing on that corner, you're kind of like you're in in the intersection. You're in both places. So it's like here you are at the intersection of gender and race. Here you are at the intersection of gender, race, and class, right? These things all impact and influence each other and connect to each other. And if you're only doing justice work in one department, it's not really going to happen. Like if I was just doing work around gender liberation, that's not going to, it's not going to cut it because there's actually a whole interesting and intense thing that's happening in connection to race, right? Gender and race are connected. Even, even how gender plays out is different amongst different races because this gets into power privilege, all of that. And you can't, you can't ignore that. You can't just pick one thing and just be like, I'm going to shift how we do class in society. Well, then you need to talk about race. You can't just be like, I'm going to talk about gender yeah. without talking about all of it. So that to me is what intersectionality is. That's helpful. I picture uh, uh, two things. I like the street corner analogy. And I picture a street corner with like, you know, 31 roads coming together and, and each of us standing in the middle, that point where they, they all cross um, or a Venn diagram for each human. And also to be clear that intersectionality also relates to people can be disadvantaged in multiple ways, right? To talk about that, like what is the unique experience that a black trans woman is having that maybe a white trans woman is not having in terms of the double oppression that they're faced with of being black and being trans and being a woman? It's like you're three times, you know, and we, you know, that's just one example. Yeah. Okay, these are very helpful tools. And and Jeff, we we were talking about like um, the environmental struggle that might not understand not. Are there, they're environmentalists and I'm going to say for the most part, probably cisgendered white environmentalists who are like, no, just the climate, just right, the no, environment. Just koala bears. No, just, just sea turtles. 
You were right. talking about the the <laughs> how um, I, I raised this with Mika before you hopped on about environmental organizations because they're all sort of shouting at the top of their lungs, our cause is the most important. It actually ends up being uh, factional. So as opposed to solidarity and united and, and being joined in a larger cause, it can hurt the the movement, the progress of each individual environmental organization. Um, and it was potentially, at least Mika, you can continue, but wondering if that was true in in the realm of gender, sex, gender fluidity. Is that where you're going, Mika? I, yeah, I mean, there, I think when it, if it comes to like, thanks Ariel for emphasizing, if there's one takeaway from, from our podcast, um, it's, um, learn to respect people's identity as they identify. It's both because it, I mean, there's so many, so many different reasons for this, but I can, the, the multiple conversations are coming together in a way one, because I'm respecting that person in front of me. Two, because it'll come around and I will benefit from it because I will be identified the way and respected the way I'd like to be seen. And three, because yes, as we all move on into the world or are active and are organizing into the world we'd like to see, it, this basic tenant of identifying people the way they'd like to be identified it allows us, enables us, promotes us all to get on our overlapping same page. We all get to progress. Um, and so, so this very basic tool that Ariel is offering actually tackles all these different um, Lines, front lines, my own personal one, my my the my friends and allies and people I haven't even met, and also on a on a larger movement level, this one action is that powerful. Just to remember to do when I encounter new friends. Is that did I do I have that right, Ariel? Yeah, it's basic common decency, respect, and dignity to to call someone by the name that they have and to call someone by the pronouns that they use. Not rocket science. So well, that's so, why we're on better bozo because it's like you break it down to the core level, and then you you don't you know it's like if people are wondering what can they do to help, that's just the easiest. That's like step one, the easiest thing you can do. Right. So listen, There's, guys. Not rocket science. Not complicated. You heard it on the better bozo. Um, just treat people with respect. Identify them as they want to be identified. Okay, I want to jump in with something that is a little more complicated. <laughs> so a recent example. Um, I'm trying to think of how to share this without outing. So a neighbor has a younger person living with them and came to them uh, identifying us. Well, ostensibly, here's what I'll say, ostensibly, female. Had a name that was given, and, and, and then I heard secondhand that this person was now going by a whole different name that, that typically we would associate with being a, a male or a man. Um, and this wasn't communicated to me directly, and I have a, you know, a, an ancillary um, 
relationship. So not a primary one. And I really wanted to hold myself accountable by not stopping interacting with this person because I see them on a you know, consistent enough basis and realizing, oh, they go by another name now, but they haven't told me, shared it with me directly. And so I ended up being in proximity just two days ago, I think. And, and I said, hey, how's it going? And it was uncomfortable. And I said, hey, you're going by a different name now, I hear. Is that true? And then they said, yeah. And here was their name. And I said, cool. And I reintroduced myself. And there's a situation where I, I was definitely working to, to make connection because that's a thing that helps me to feel better is I'm connected by the people around me. And I wasn't invited into that connection. And, and it, it feels more complex in the sense that here I am reaching out, taking a risk. I've heard a thing secondhand and I, uh, I want to I make sure that that's the, the right way to go. Yeah, what's great about what you're saying is it can be really simple. If, you, if you're like, wow, I actually just don't know this person's pronoun or I'm not even sure what name they're going by, like a couple things. Like you can just not use a pronoun <laughs> until you find out what the pronoun is. You can right. ask somebody else and then just start using that. If you, if you know for sure that someone's changed their name and, and like a, a, a mutual friend or a trusted community member has told you that, you can, you know, just start using the new name, right? And if you're like, I'm genuinely not sure, the same thing that you would do for anyone, you might say like, uh, I'm having a hard time remembering your name. I just want you to know my name's Jeff. Yep. What's your name? Yep. And also, by the way, the pronouns I use are he, him. And then that person can... You know, it's just like really natural and easy for that person to share their name or share their their pronouns. And that's like, you know, because the situation you're describing, it's like that's like the acquaintance friend where you're like, I don't actually know you that well. So maybe yeah. you didn't tell me that you've changed your name or your pronouns. Um, so I think I think what it is, is just is just paying attention and also being willing to change and being willing to, you know, honor what's actually happening. So one of the things that I want to share just as part of this podcast is that, you know, we've talked a lot about the work I do in terms of training corporations, nonprofits, places of faith, doing consulting work. I also wanted to mention that part of the work I do is specifically inside of the trans and non-binary community doing healing, ritual, leadership, and mentorship. And that that platform happens as part of Gender Illumination, which is spelled I-L-L-U-M-I-N-A-T-I-O-N. And if you look up genderillumination.com, you can see this work. And I want to mention that we are thriving even in the time of COVID-19 by creating online programs for trans and non-binary people. And one of those programs is this amazing mentorship program. We have 32 people in the program right now. People are coming in from all over the country. We have people from New York, New Mexico, California, D.C. And these are people that, um, you know, especially in this time, there's just so much crisis, so much tension, so much um, lack of resources, people losing jobs, lack of money, and just a lot of even like shortage around food access, all of that. And having this program has been really a beneficial support for people and also a way for people to see other people that look that are similar to them, have similar lived experiences, see their faces on Zoom, connect with them and get the support that they need. Awesome. Oh, I love that. Thanks for sharing that, Ariel. That's important. When you're saying mentorship program, tell me, wait, can you break that down a little bit further? What do you, who's being mentored and by who? Yeah. So the mentorship program is something that you, that if someone was interested and they wanted to be part of, they could apply to it's, it's sectioned into different cohorts. So our one cohort is going right now 
And um, there'll be more, you know, if, if you went on genderillumination.com and you applied right now, you'd be applying for the second cohort, which will hopefully start up in late summer. And what it looks like is we are partnering people. So we have people that we train. So you, when you enter this program, if you are a mentor, you become trained in the program to, to be a mentor. And if you are a mentee, you also go through a training and then you're getting partnered with a mentor and a mentee. And these people are having, um, right, all of it's happening over Zoom right now. So they're doing, you know, these Zoom meetings with each other, mentor-mentee meetings. They're also receiving trainings from Gender Illumination as well as support meetings. Um, they get to be part of an online community where they can talk and share and, and offer each other ideas and resources and knowledge. And what's powerful about this is a lot of times, you know, trans and non-binary people, you know, because we're, we've been living on the margins, we don't always see each other or see people that look like us or have someone to talk to, to be like, how do you navigate this? Like, what do I do? And it's nice to have someone that has come before you and that isn't necessarily about age all the time. It might just be that you've been out longer than I've been out, or it might just be that you, you know, have had more opportunity to express your gender in a way that I want to express my gender. And now I can ask you for, you know, for some support around that, or I could just have someone that has a little bit more lived experience. Mm. And so that's what our program is offering people. And it's just been a really beautiful you know, dynamic and beautiful group of people to work with. And it's just, especially during this time, it's really important. Um, oftentimes before COVID-19, you know, a lot of our gender illumination work was done in person. Uh, and I personally really love doing stuff in person. Like I really value being able to be in the same room as people. And I also really see that right now, that's just not a possibility. Like we're in a time frame where we're, we need to shelter in place. And we're all trying together to overcome this really intense illness, disease. And what's been amazing is to learn rather quickly how to shift programs and how to take something that was an in-person experience and broaden it. And therefore, instead of something that was only, you know, I'm based in the Bay Area of California. So something that was would have been an offering just for people in the same area as me, a local experience has now become you know, it's like the silver lining. It's like this program that was originally going to just be for people in the Bay Area is now a program that exists beyond that. And all of a sudden we have people coming in from all over the country and that expands the whole program and what's possible in the program. So in some ways there's been, you know, there there's always like a silver lining to any situation. And that's been really powerful to see what it looks like to connect in, a, in, in bigger, big, beyond our geographic locations. It's right true. We're, coming, we're becoming a more globalized world and our communities are becoming more cohesive. And while the patriarchy um, mobilizes to disenfranchise us and cut us off from one another, we are organizing underneath the surface for the new paradigm to emerge from this wonderful catastrophe. Yeah, and we're also doing the best we can to survive, right? Like, it's also not easy. It is not easy to not have physical contact and... I really fundamentally believe that human beings were meant to be in person with each other. We're meant to be able to give each other hugs. Yep. We're meant to be able to have actual human to human contact and not stare at screens all day. I also think, look, not everybody even has access to staring at a screen all day. So I, I you know, when I think about the way of the future, it's like, let's figure out how we can take some of these tools and make our programs more expansive. But let's also remember that there's something very valuable and very important about being able to live our lives where we get to actually physically see each other and be in the same place. Mm -hmm. mm. 
Yeah. Wow. Should we, uh, looking at the time, should we, should we wrap? Let's do it. Thumbs up from Ariel. On that uh, note, on that lovely apocalyptic and hopeful note. Hopeliptic. Hopeliptic. Hopeliptic <laughs> note. I feel like, Ariel, we've got like at least five more episodes with you and so many different things to unpack. I really appreciate the opportunity to stick with one so-called simple issue, gender. I don't know who called it simple. I mean, I suppose the the conservative white people might call it simple, but yes. Yeah, right. Um, But just to be able to stick with that, and I feel like there's so much still more to unpack, but at least for the sake of our audience of bozos, um, I hope... I hope we did a good job today. I think we did a pretty good job breaking down some basic concepts and and some, you know, taking home, pocketing some basic tools. Um, and I really appreciate it. Oh, I love you so much. It's so good to see you. I love you so much. I'm so thankful that I got to be on the podcast. I can't wait to hear it in full and just see how it grows over time. The whole, the Better Bozo podcast. I can't wait to see where it goes next. Oh, we really appreciate you for helping us better bozos fumble up the learning curve together. Yeah, very much. Thank you, Ariel. Thank you both. Yeah, glad you're here. Jeff, what do you think of that? Well, I think lots of things, man. Uh, It's good. I felt... I'm so glad we got a a mulligan and a redo with Ariel Mm -hmm. and that we could see her, them, him... Um, yeah, my consistent experience is when we talk about big shit, uh, I'm like, what about this? And what about this? And there's so many paths to go down and, uh, it's both a challenge and exciting. Um, so I, I love that we did the very basic, like break the shit down into bite-sized chunks. Mm -hmm. I'm liking that more and more. Yeah. I'm liking that more and more. I'm also hearing feedback from friends who are like, guys, don't try to go too far, too fast. Yep. yep. Taking it slow. And I think Ariel is perfect for that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely Ariel has a lot of knowledge. And I also wanted to slow down more, but didn't really know when and how to slow down. Because it can get pretty granular, I think. And so it was good that we circled back around. I appreciate their willingness to effectively go basic with with us. Well, and on that note, just for the sake of it, now that we're growing an audience, hey guys, um, for those who are listening, I know we can, Jeff and I, and I know I have a tendency to go way off into the stars and then Jeff needs to, hey, Earth Tamika, come back. Um, mm-hmm. And hopefully Ariel gets to do that too and, Sometimes just to try to fathom some of the concepts, that's where my mind goes. But while we're here, drop us a line. If there were questions you wished that we had asked Ariel, she's going to be back and there are going to be other guests. And please feel free to drop a line saying, hey, I wish you had asked X, Y, or Z um, so that we can wrap our brain around (laughs) our next conversation so that, you know, we can unpack it further in the direction you want to hear. Bozos. 
B-O-Z-O-S at thebetterbozo.com. That's right. Send us an email. And while we're here, um, and if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend, post it on Facebook or Instagram. And uh, by all means, I think it's high time you logged on to the Patreon and you left a tip. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Also do all the things if you're down. Rate, review, I think share, you know, that kind of shit. Help us keep doing this thing. Hopefully it has value. That's right. Yeah. Guys, this has been The Better Bozo. Thank you for fumbling up the learning curve. And thanks to Henry, Alter Audio, for the music and the editing post-production. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Jeff, thank you so much. Thank you, Mika. Thank you.